0: This is Literally everything, everything. everything, everything, If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh. I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Welcome back, everyone. For those of you in the U.S., I hope you had a nice long holiday weekend and you're all relaxed now that you're back at work. Just think, a few more weeks, we'll be on Christmas break. So, we got this. Today, I will share my thoughts on Terry Parlato's What Waits in the Woods, Rachel Harrison's Black Sheep, Megan Golden's The Night Swim, and Kia Abdullah's Perfectly Nice Neighbors. But you know the drill. Before we jump into the reviews, we're going to look at some of this week's new releases. First on my list is The Mystery Guest by Nita Prose. When an acclaimed author dies at the Regency Grand Hotel, it's up to a fastidious maid to uncover the truth, no matter how dirty, in a standalone novel featuring Molly Gray from The Maid. I have that book. I still haven't read it. need to get on that. Next is The Watchmaker's Hand by Jeffrey Deaver. When a New York City construction crane mysteriously collapses, causing mass destruction and killing several people, Rhyme and Amelia Sachs are on the case. A political group claims to be behind the sabotage and threatens another crane collapse in 24 hours, unless their demands are met. The clock is ticking. I feel like that would be a great storyline for another season of 24. Hello, Kiefer Sutherland. Next is The Kingdom of Without by Andrea Tang. A wily young thief must use her wits to survive futuristic alternate history Beijing in this Les Miserables-inspired young adult cyberpunk. Then we have The Fiction Writer by Jillian Cantor. This follows a writer hired by a handsome billionaire to write about his family history with Daphne de Maurier and finds herself drawn into a tangled web of obsession, marital secrets, and stolen manuscripts. Dun dun dun. Next is Didn't See That Coming by Jesse Q. Sutanto. A hilariously fresh and romantic send-up of You've Got Mail about a gamer girl with a secret identity and the online bestie she's never met in real life until she unwittingly transfers to his school. Next is Gwen and Art Are Not In Love by Lex Croucher Heartstopper meets A Knight's Tale in this queer medieval romcom YA debut about love, friendship, and being brave enough to change the course of history. Then we have Godly Heathens by H.E. Edgman This is the first book in H.E. Edgman's YA contemporary fantasy duology, The Ouroboros, in which a non-binary seminal teen, Jem, finds out there a reincarnated god from another world. Then we have The Kingdom of Sweets by Erica Johansson, a darkly magical take on the Nutcracker where two sisters, cursed from birth, are forever changed one memorable Christmas. Then we have We Must Not Think of Ourselves by Lauren Gradstein, A heart-wrenching story of love and defiance set in Warsaw ghetto based on the actual archives kept by those determined to have their story survive World War II. And the last on my list is For Never and Always by Helena Greer. One surprise inheritance, two best friends, now bitter exes, and three months to prove he loves her, forever and always, drives this swoony second-chance romance. Alrighty, I don't think I added any new books to my list this week. If I did, I guess I can cover them next week. So we will jump into the reviews. And we'll start off this week with What Waits in the Woods by Terry Parlato. This book releases on December twenty sixth, 2023 and is published by Kensington. I received an advanced copy of this book from the publisher through NetGalley in exchange for an honest review. The synopsis reads... When Esme Foster left the Boston suburbs to become a professional ballerina, the future shimmered with promise. Eleven years later, her career has been derailed by an injury and Esme knows it's time to come back to Greybridge to help her brother care for their ailing father. But her return coincides with an unthinkable crime. Kara Cunningham, one of Esme's high school friends, is found dead in the woods behind the Foster's house. Esme is shocked and grieving, but also uneasy. In her dream, she still sees the man who showed up at the scene of the car accident that killed her mother, and told Esme he was going to kill her too. Family and friends insisted the figure was a product of Esme's imagination, that she was concussed after the crash. But she and Kara looked alike, sharing the same petite build, the same hair color. Could Kara's murder have been a case of mistaken identity? Detective Rita Myers is familiar with close-knit communities like Greybridge, where beneath the friendliness there are whispers and secrets. The town has seen other tragedies too, including the long-ago drowning of a young girl in a pond deep in the woods. Even within the once-close circle of friends that included Kara and Esme, Rita discerns a ripple of mistrust. Day by day, Esme discovers more about the place she left behind, and the friends and family she thought she knew. Soon, shining a light into the darkness to learn what really happened the night Kara died is the only way she can bring the nightmare to an end. I went into this one expecting an edge-of-my-seat thriller, but what I actually got was more of a mystery, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, just not what I was expecting. The novel is narrated from the dual perspectives of Esme and Rita, providing insight into the investigation of a murder and the unraveling of secrets in a small Massachusetts town. As the synopsis tells us, Esme Foster, a former ballet dancer, is forced to return to her hometown of Greybridge after a career-ending injury. Esme's homecoming is marred by the discovery of her high school friend Kara Cunningham's lifeless body in the woods behind Esme's father's house. Literally, the day she returns home, Esme pulls up to her father's house to find the police packing up Kara's body. How's that for a welcome home gift? Esme is devastated, understandably, and immediately on edge. Because when she was a kid, she was riding in a vehicle with her parents when her father lost control of the car. Her mother was killed in the accident, and Esme distinctly remembers a man pulling her from the car as he shouted, I will kill you. The problem is that her father claims there was no man there with them, and the police didn't indicate that anyone else was present at the scene of the accident. With Kara and Esme sharing a striking resemblance, Esme wonders if maybe the man was real, and he's come back all of these years later to fulfill his promise. Was her friend's murder a case of mistaken identity? Detective Rita Myers, a seasoned officer, is assigned to the investigation. As she delves deeper into the case, she uncovers a web of secrets surrounding several suspects. Esme's brother had recently dated Kara. Esme's neighbor, an eccentric costume designer, had recently been working with Kara. Esme's other neighbor, Ray Ridley, also likes to hang out in the woods that connect their properties, and many say he's a shady character who could have been responsible for Kara's death. And then we have Ray's sister, Cynthia, who was accused of killing her younger sister years earlier. Cynthia recently returned home after a stay in an institution. So could she be involved? Now, as I mentioned earlier, this one plays out as more of a mystery than a thriller. Aside from a couple of chapters, I was never really on the edge of my seat with this one. It all felt a little formulaic to me. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I never really connected with Rita. Her chapters lacked depth and I wondered why the author chose her as our second narrator. She really didn't have much to offer aside from giving us a little insight into the suspects and setting up several red herrings. I felt that the investigation went in circles didn't add a whole lot to the story. Her chapters were definitely my least favorite in the book. I felt like had the second narrator been Cynthia, the young woman accused of murdering her sister years earlier, would have been way more interesting. Not only would we have been provided with an unreliable narrator, which I love, but I feel like it would have added depth and a sense of unease that was otherwise missing. Cynthia's character was rich and complex, and I wanted more from her. Despite these shortcomings, the novel succeeds in creating a haunting and atmospheric setting. The small-town dynamics added depth and intrigue. As Esme peels back the layers of her hometown, readers are taken on a journey of discovery. Through her exploration of the town's history and the people she thought she knew, Esme slowly uncovers the truth behind Kara's death. And while it wasn't the heart-pounding thriller I'd hoped for, it was an intriguing mystery. While there was some room for improvement regarding the pacing and some of the characters, the atmospheric setting and the unraveling of secrets makes it a worthwhile read for fans looking for a good mystery to cuddle up with in the colder months. I gave this one three stars. Next, we'll take a look at Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison. This book was first published on September 19, 2023 by Berkeley and was one of my Aardvark Book Club picks in October. The synopsis reads, Nobody has a normal family, but Vesper writes is truly something else. Vesper left home at 18 and never looked back. Mostly because she was told that leaving the staunchly religious community she grew up in meant she couldn't return. But then an envelope arrives on her doorstep. Inside is an invitation to the wedding of Vesper's beloved cousin, Rosie. It's to be hosted at the family farm. Have they made an exception to the rule? It wouldn't be the first time Vesper's been given special treatment. Is the invite a sweet gesture? An olive branch? A trap? Doesn't matter. Something inside her insists she go to the wedding even if it means returning to the toxic environment she escaped, Even if it means reuniting with her mother, Constance, a former horror film star and forever ice queen. When Vesper's homecoming exhumes a terrifying secret, she's forced to reckon with her family's beliefs and her own crisis of faith in this deliciously sinister novel that explores the way family ties can bind us as we struggle to find our place in the world. This was the first book by Rachel Harrison that I've read, and it certainly will not be my last. This was a refreshingly creative and entertaining horror novel that had me hooked from the very first page. With its unconventional take on religion and family, this dark and twisted tale dives deep into the depths of faith and family secrets. The story follows Vesper Wright, a cynical 20-something who left her religious community at 18 and never looked back. Sure, she thinks of her family from time to time, but Vesper refused to buy into their extreme religious beliefs that were basically cultish. And once someone leaves the community, they're out forever. But when she receives an invitation to her cousin's wedding, hosted at the family farm, Vesper's curiosity gets the better of her. She figures since she received the invite, that must mean they've made an exception to her ban. She's not exactly thrilled about it, but she feels a pull to attend the wedding and confront her past. Vesper is warmly greeted by everyone except her mother, who's always treated Vesper like she's a bit of an outcast. Everyone else seems excited to see her, but soon it becomes evident that something's terribly amiss and maybe Vesper made a mistake coming back. One thing that I loved about this book was its unique exploration of religion and the way it can shape and define families. We read a lot about how damaging extreme quote-unquote Christian lifestyles can be, and Harrison takes it a step further, demonstrating how damaging any religion can be if it's taken too far. Harrison illustrates this by delving into the complex dynamics between Vesper and her family and their fundamental religious lifestyle on the farm. As Vesper uncovers the dark secrets and beliefs of her family and her role in it, she's forced to confront her own crisis of faith, leading to a pretty intense and somewhat shocking final showdown. Throughout the book, Harrison beautifully captures the eerie setting, which enhances the overall unsettling and ominous ambiance of the story, juxtaposing it with brief moments of comedy thanks to Vesper's sardonic outlook. One of the highlights of this novel is the author's ability to balance the horror elements with humor and wit. As far as horror goes, it's not overly graphic or gory, which I appreciated. Harrison relies more on psychological terror and suspense with only a few bloody scenes. The writing style is witty and sarcastic, injecting moments of levity into the otherwise dark and sinister tale. The banter between Vesper and her friends, as well as her observations of her family, adds a layer of realism and relatability to the characters. And speaking of characters, they're all great. I loved Vesper and everything she stood for. As a fellow black sheep, I was with her 100%. I also loved to hate her mother Constance, a former horror film star, who added an extra layer of intrigue to the story. Constance's icy demeanor and mysterious past make her a captivating and enigmatic character. As far as pacing goes, I thought it was spot on. The suspense continually builds and the climactic ending is both satisfying and chilling. I love that it tied up loose ends while leaving room for interpretation as to Vesper's future. Overall, I really enjoyed this book. I read it in two short sittings. I think my total reading time was just over four hours. I tore through it thanks to Rachel Harrison's clever writing and intriguing characters. In my opinion, this is a must-read for any horror or paranormal fan. So grab a copy, cozy up with a blanket, and prepare to be captivated by this wickedly entertaining tale. I gave it 4.5 stars. Next, we'll take a look at Megan Golden's The Night Swim. This book was first published by St. Martin's Press on August 4th, 2020, and was a Goodreads Choice Award nominee for Best Mystery and Thriller that same year. The synopsis reads, Ever since her true crime podcast become an overnight sensation and set an innocent man free, Rachel Kral has become a household name, and the last hope for people seeking justice. But she's used to being recognized for her voice, not her face, which makes it all the more unsettling when she finds a note on her car windshield addressed to her, begging for help. The new season of Rachel's podcast has brought her to a small town being torn apart by a devastating rape trial. A local golden boy, a swimmer destined for Olympic greatness, has been accused of raping the beloved granddaughter of the police chief. Under pressure to make Season 3 a success, Rachel throws herself into her investigation, but the mysterious letters keep coming. Someone is following her, and she won't stop until Rachel finds out what happened to her sister 25 years ago. Officially, Jenny Stills tragically drowned, but the letters insist she was murdered, and when Rachel starts asking questions, nobody in town wants to answer. The past and present start to collide as Rachel uncovers startling connections between the two cases and a revelation that will change the course of the trial and the lives of everyone involved. Electrifying and propulsive, The Night Swim asks, What is the price of a reputation? Can a small town ever right the wrongs of its past? And what really happened to Jenny? Earlier this summer, I picked Dark Corners by Megan Golden in one of my Book of the Month boxes. I didn't realize it was a second book in a series that focuses on a podcaster named Rachel Krall. I really enjoyed it, and luckily the books stand alone so there were no spoilers about the plot of the first book in the second book. Just like Dark Corners, The Night Swim is an engaging mystery that had me hooked. The story follows Rachel Kral, a popular true crime podcaster who's known for her powerful voice and ability to uncover the truth. Rachel has decided to do something different for the latest season of her podcast, and rather than covering a murder case, she's decided to cover a rape trial in a small coastal town. The accused is a local swimmer, a golden boy with Olympic dreams. The victim is the granddaughter of the police chief. Rape cases are sticky as it is, but these two things make this case even more complicated and the entire town is split. Rachel knows she's walking a thin line, but is determined to cover the case fairly and impartially and hopefully ensure that justice is served, whatever the outcome. On top of the trial, Rachel has also been receiving letters from a fan asking for her help. This fan, a girl named Hannah, is from the same town where Rachel is covering the rape trial. Hannah's sister died several years earlier, and the death was labeled an accidental drowning, but Hannah feels very strongly that her sister was murdered and, for some reason, it was covered up. Rachel refuses to be distracted by Hannah at first, but Hannah's letters become more persistent and more persuasive, and when Rachel begins to look into Hannah's sister's death, she realizes there is definitely something suspicious with the case. As she digs further, she begins to uncover corruption that has run deep in this town for years. Just like she did with Dark Corners, Golden manages to skillfully blend multiple storylines that eventually converge without things getting overly complicated. She also doesn't rely on gimmicks or unnecessary twists to drive the narrative, which is definitely refreshing. Over the course of the novel, Golden explores the price of her reputation and the repercussions of a small town's past actions. The novel raises thought-provoking questions about the nature of justice and the difficulty of righting wrongs that have been buried for years. The narrative seamlessly shifts between past and present, unveiling startling connections between the two cases. The author expertly builds tension throughout the novel, keeping the reader guessing until the very end. The overall storyline is evenly paced and masterfully executed, and had me eagerly turning the pages. Another thing that I really enjoy about Golden's writing is that her descriptions allow you to vividly imagine each scene, easily pulling you into the world of the story. The characters are well developed and have depth, making it easy to become emotionally invested in their journeys. Rachel, in particular, is a strong and relatable protagonist, making her quest for justice all the more compelling. I also really liked Hannah, and honestly found the mystery surrounding Hannah's sister's death more compelling than the main case that Rachel was covering. Overall, I felt this was a thought-provoking and at times heart-pounding thriller that is both powerful and entertaining. If you're a fan of mystery and suspense, this is a book you won't want to miss. I'm definitely a Megan Golden fan now, and even though I've grown a bit tired of the true crime podcaster trope, I really like the character of Rachel, and I look forward to the next entry in the series. I gave this one a solid 4 stars. We'll close out by taking a look at Perfectly Nice Neighbors by Kia Abdullah. This book was first published in the U.S. on September 12, 2023 by G.P. Putnam Sons, and was one of my aardvark book club picks in September. The synopsis reads, Salma Khatun is hopeful about Blenheim, the safe suburban development into which she, her husband, and their son have just moved. The Bangladeshi family are in desperate need of a fresh start, and Blenheim feels like just the place. Soon after they move in, Salma spots her white neighbor, Tom Hutton, ripping out the anti-racist banner her son put out in the front garden. Choosing not to confront Tom, Salma takes the banner inside and puts it in her window instead. But the next morning, she wakes up to find her window smeared with paint. This time, she does confront Tom, and the battle lines between the two families are drawn. As racial and social tensions escalate and the stakes rise, it's clear that a reckoning is coming and someone is going to get hurt. This was my first book by this author, and I really enjoyed it. I was hesitant when I first read the synopsis. It was clear that this was going to be about a racist neighbor, and I wasn't sure I wanted to read about all that. Racism is such an ugly thing, and reading about someone being terrorized by an angry white man just didn't seem fun to me. But I decided to give it a chance anyway. And I'm happy to say that this one was definitely gripping and had me turning the pages to find out what was going to happen. The author does a great job at taking this in an unexpected direction, and that final twist was definitely one I didn't see coming. Over the course of the novel, the author takes readers on a thought-provoking journey that explores the complexities of race, identity, and neighborly relations in the seemingly idyllic setting of Blenheim, a safe suburban development in the UK. Through Salma Katoon, a Bangladeshi woman hopeful for a fresh start, the author skillfully delves into the simmering tensions that arise when her white neighbor, Tom Hutton, removes a Black Lives Matter banner from the Katoon's front yard. From the moment Salma spots Tom tearing down the banner, she's faced with a dilemma. Rather than directly confronting him, she decides to take the higher road and places the banner inside her front window only to awaken next morning to find that their window has been painted over so that the sign is no longer visible. As the story unfolds, it becomes clear that this initial class is only the tip of the iceberg. Tensions soon begin to escalate between Salma and Tom, and it's not long before their spouses and their children are involved, raising the stakes even higher. Abdullah has crafted a narrative that forces readers to confront the uncomfortable truths and prejudices that lie beneath the surface of seemingly harmonious suburbia. As Salma and Tom's families find themselves caught in the grip of a mounting conflict, the author fearlessly explores the complexities and nuances of their interactions, exposing the deep-seated biases and ingrained societal structures that perpetuate division and inequity. What makes Perfectly Nice Neighbors so captivating to me is Abdullah's ability to create multi-dimensional characters that challenge stereotypes and offer nuanced perspectives. Through Salma, readers witness the struggles and aspirations of a woman determined to protect her family and pave a way for a better future. Meanwhile, Tom's character forces readers to examine the motivations and insecurities that underlie his actions, ultimately humanizing him despite his questionable behavior. While the book focuses mostly on the conflict between Tom and Salma, we get other perspectives from outsiders from their community. From acts of vandalism to subtle microaggressions in everyday encounters, the author underscores the devastating impact of individuals turning a blind eye to systemic issues and remaining complicit in their perpetuation. With this book, the author serves as a powerful voice, shining a light on the pressing social issues of our time. Through her skilled storytelling, she encourages readers to confront their own biases and prejudices, challenging them to place themselves in the shoes of her characters and to question the role they play in perpetuating inequality. In the end, I felt that this book is a timely and important novel that forces readers to examine the uncomfortable realities surrounding race and identity. It's also wrapped up in a nice little thriller, with a surprising twist at the end that I wasn't expecting. While I wasn't completely blown away by the book, It was an engaging read. I gave this one three and a half stars. That's all I have for you today. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on, and don't forget to follow me on Instagram for all things bookish. The handle there is at JustReadItAlreadyPod. You can also find links to all the books that I talked about today on the website at JustReadItAlready.com join me next week when I share my thoughts on Maureen Kilmer's Suburban Hell, Abigail Johnson's Every Time You Go Away, Alex Michelidi's The Silent Patient, and Brian Washington's Family Meal. Have a great week.